Paul Newman and Steve McQueen battle an out of control OJ Simpson. Oh, I'm sorry, out of control fire in Irwin Allen's spectacular Towering Inferno this week on Cinema de Fromage. Steve McQueen and Paul Newman race against time as one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The Towering Inferno. It's out of control. It's coming your way. Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox present Irwin Allen's production of The Towering Inferno. Steve McQueen. Paul Newman. William Holden. Faye Dunaway, Fred Astaire, Susan Blakely, Richard Chamberlain, Jennifer Jones, O.J. Simpson, Robert Vaughn, and Robert Wagner. The Towering Inferno. Those people are going to die up there. Something's not done. Much longer here. So you can stop worrying about me. What about me down there worrying about you? I'll never let you go anywhere without me again. I'll be back with the whole fire department. The Towering Inferno. Set me down on the scenic elevator. Now, the producer of the Poseidon Adventure brings you more spectacle, more stars, more suspense than you've ever seen in one motion picture. Steve McQueen is the fire chief. Paul Newman is the architect. Step by step, floor by floor, this is a race against time to save hundreds of people trapped in a night of blazing suspense as the world's tallest building becomes the towering inferno. The Towering Inferno. And they say that uh, trailers nowadays give away too much. Hmm. Welcome, everybody, to Cinema de Fromage, the show where we watch uh, so-called films uh, from different eras, some of them good and some of them not so good. Uh, this week, at least after the first time after a long while, I think we got entertained this time. I'm hoping. Uh, I know I'm not angry today, so that's a good sign. And uh, with me, of course, my two co-hosts. We've got Kente. How are you doing today? I'm great. And can we get some love from Dabney Coleman? They... I know, hey, little guys, and, and then they showed his picture. Like, give him some love. He was, he was. A good was guy. that was that also Henry Morgan beside him, the guy who played uh, Harry Potter, not Harry Potter, <laughs> Colonel Potter in the Mash series. I believe it was. So there was a lot of TV uh, stars in this. Uh, this uh -huh. film. Uh, also, with us, Jen. I think. Are you here with us now? I am vaguely here. Yes, so that... at least oh. in mind. Uh, well, okay, in body. Okay, but. Okay, well, that's good. For, so you're not having sort of an erythral experience right now, so that's good. Uh, no, I, I, I was sort of out-of-body thing out of the way. Yeah, I figured we'll save that for another season, and uh, yeah, we can get into that another time. <laughs> we'll even have a seance and everything. It'll be cool. I, so, 
Work. Can I? Can I? Yeah. Can I throw? I don't know if this is going to be something that you are going to mention, um, but uh, this was a big deal for a lot of reasons. It was a co-production between yes. 20th Century and Warner Brothers, which yep. I don't believe it had happened before until nope. this. So. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of any other co-productions that have been done, and it's not. I think uh, you know what I, I can't remember now. I thought there was one where there was a couple of studios involved, but it was one of those really big budget things that kind of went flop open. I cannot remember it. Exactly. Okay. But yeah, that's because both of them had the rights. Each of them had rights to books that this is based on, because both the plots on both of these hackneyed books are pretty close together and they kind of meshed them together and <laughs> made it into the, the film that it is today. Right. So this will be fun. Yes. So um, who wants to have the honors of, of giving away the exciting plot of the towering Inferno? I can do it. Uh, Go ahead. I'm just going to read. It says classic, classic 1970s disaster <laughs> movie about a fire that breaks out in a state of the art San Francisco high rise building during the opening ceremony intended by a host of A-list guests. An overworked fire chief architect, must cooperate in the struggle to save lives and subdue panic while a corrupt, cost-cutting contractor tries to evade responsibility for this disaster. This movie was released on December 14, 1974 and director, directed by John Gillerman. And uh, featured song is May we may never love like this again. <laughs> oh, and it should have been burning, comments. burning love. Hunk of burning love by uh, Elvis would have been better. Yes. Yes. And once again, we have a disaster film where they said, you know what? Let's do what we did last time. We got an Oscar or for uh, the uh, previous movie's uh, song. Um, Must there be a morning after and the side adventure. So they did this one and I think it was nominated. I don't know if it won. Because it is so unmemorable, but maybe it did. Uh, someone's got to look it up. Can, well, can, I, can I ask you guys a question? Ask away. You realize that Fred Astaire was in this movie. Did you know he was going to dance at least once in the movie? I did he dance? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. He did, he yeah, did he dance. Did. He uh, did dance. So he's like, we have to work in. It was a little, the you know, a little part, but they had to work that in. Because you have Fred Astaire, right? Hmm. Oh, God, it did win. <laughs> we may never love like this again one and it, which tells you that all the other songs were probably awful that year because this is so unmemorable like the previous one i can remember because it's it's awful right. in its own way and i think south park also made fun of it by using it uh you ever seen the succubus episode where yeah. chef is marrying the succubus the song that they sing to get rid of the succubus is must there be a morning after sung backwards <laughs> so wow <laughs> so that's why that song sticks in my head i don't know if that means anything but maybe it does um yeah so we've got an all-star cast and two weird things that came out of this i mean what they wouldn't have known then only and, only two only two okay well two things that kind of newsworthy <laughs> kind of things that came out of it um one the whole idea of entertainment being derived from the burning of a building and people jumping for their lives, everything um, kind of, you know, the 20 years, 30 years later was, uh, you know, kind of, ooh. Uh, and then, of course, um, O.J. Simpson starring as the uh, the lovable uh, security guard who saves the, was it Cat, I think? 
Yeah, he had balls yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. He was the only yeah. one with balls in this movie, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, boy. It's like watching now going, yeah, that's OJ. It's You can't watch it the same way as you would have back then because OJ was everybody's darling at the time. Uh -huh. I, I mean, everyone loved OJ. I love OJ. He's Yeah. yeah that's, why, that's why I rent from Hertz. <laughs> <laughs> when I want to watch a man jumping over things to get somewhere, yeah, that was the guy to do it. I was thinking, I was like, why didn't they get the talking heads to do the theme song? But oh, that was 74. I think that was before then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> there's a couple of songs that could have gone in there. Burning down the house. Right. <laughs> um, so this was the uh, second in a string of disaster films that Irwin Allen produced. And Irwin Allen actually directed all of the action sequences. Um, so I don't know which is worse, the action sequences or the character bits. Both, both are pretty bad, but the one, only one thing I really loved in the film that you know made me, I feel bad for laughing. But it's when all the people rushed into the elevator when he told them not to, and it opens up on that floor, and all you go, you hear them all going, ah! It's a flame. It's like that is so funny. I'm sorry, it's so funny. It Maybe is I'm sick, yeah. but that was just the stupidest reaction. And things. it's like I'm supposed to be horrified by this, but like, you bunch of dumbasses. He told you exactly what was going to happen, and you went in there anyway. Also, you know? uh, uh, also, wait. If I could just interject one thing throughout mm -hmm. this entire movie. Uh, so uh, if, one thing is throughout the entire movie, everybody's reactions were hilarious, and I and I'm not saying that like they weren't trying to act like they were scared. It's just their no. reactions were awful. That's that's one thing. But the other thing is, you know, we did an experiment in our house where we watched this movie, and you know, yeah, mm -hmm. whatever. And then uh, about a day or so later, my kid was like, you know. I have an idea. Let's try this. And uh, he turned on ragtime music, turned the volume down from the movie. We watched the movie with ragtime music. And I have to say, it makes a really good comedy. As if it were a silent film? <laughs> yes, it was actually pretty amazing. Somebody should do that. Somebody should take some scenes of that, um, cut it to 18 frames per second with a bit of a flicker <laughs> effect, black and white, couple of scratches, and stick in um, some, yeah, some silent movie uh, stuff. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Every time it's a very explodey building too uh i must say um so yeah lots of lots of stored stuff apparently yeah so okay so here here here's the gist of it as i mean we, we already went through the plot thing but the whole idea is this building is like the new modern super building and it's so high and you know kudos on them for the effects of the time aside from a couple of times when the camera kind of the background kind of moved and the tower didn't um, it looked like it was part of the, the skyline, and this is pre-CGI, so I mean, some people may not appreciate that to get that effect to make a tower look like it exists in a real world. Wait a minute. Uh, that tower is not in San Francisco? Ooh. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, they blew it up for the film. The point is, Erwin Allen built that tower for $15,000. People actually lived in it for a year, and then they set it on fire. Saved on getting stunt actors and all that kind of effects. It was great. Most of those people you saw <laughs> jumping out were real. <laughs> okay, they were That's the fact of the day. Wonder. So, I mean, so, okay, here we go. This ridiculous tower here. Uh, you know what? I'm going to start with the one thing I'm going to say uh, would be directors and, and, and directors themselves. Your first opening shots of a film, 
are designed to sort of set the mood, set the the feel and everything, or, or, or bring up a story element or the theme in a way, you know, you want to do that. That's, you know, you're setting something, you know, whether it's, you can be something as simple and, and boring as opening narration, eh, or you can have, you know, you can have just your graphics and your effects, you know, for your titles and everything, but you do it in such a way that like, for example, Psycho, you get that kind of split thing going and the music and everything rushing by and you get the sort of the feel of the film. This film opted to show us a helicopter flying for about five minutes. No anything else, just a helicopter flying till it got to the tower. Uh, uh, business bad or business good? I don't know what it meant. It just, let's just shoot a helicopter flying over the bay into the city and landing. And then we can introduce Paul Newman. And it was like, Really? That's well, that's your opening shots. That's how you set the mood for this film. Well, one of the executives actually had to make a trip into the city, and he was like, "Look, we might as film well just film it because it's yes. going to make great, great footage at yes. some point." Yes. People are going to look at this. Go. This encapsulates encapsulates the entire idea of this picture. It, it absolutely. The themes of this picture. Actually. Actually, what happened was it was supposed to be the B-roll footage for Earthquake, but they, met, they, <laughs> but messed they hadn't up. made it yet. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, this is our B-roll footage for us. Another film. What film? Earthquake. <clears throat> we're, not, we're not filming Earthquake. Oh yeah, yeah. No, shh, later, later. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, that kind of uh, I, that was boring. That's and I'm going. This is this is not a good opening to a film. You're not capturing your audience's imagination in any way, shape, or form. The music is kind of uh, it's the generalized. I mean, what's the best way? It's it's a very early '70s generic sound and everything. Um, it definitely. It, it's kind of reminiscent of the sound for the later Planet of the Apes uh, movies. The same kind of soundtrack, and I don't know who. Uh, uh, oh wait, you know what? Maybe I do. Who did this soundtrack? Oh my God, you're not gonna believe it. And it got best original score, but the opening isn't it. It's John Williams. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. It's I, John I Williams. Remember. I'm kind of going, there's a few bits in there that are good, but generally it's not a great, like this is before he started doing his really good stuff. This is kind of generic. And I think he was probably, he was, I don't know. It, was, it, it just didn't feel like he put any effort into it. Maybe he was, because he's composing, he's watching the film going, yeah, I'm not gonna do my best work on this. Nobody else well, is there. Everybody else is phoning in. So will I. Well, you know, I, I, I think, in, and this is in no way, shape, or form to uh, to excuse there not being some excellence here, because there could have been. But well, I, it got, think, it, I think it won for Best Soundtrack, though, that year. It, well, see, that's the thing. The thing is, I think the... the oh, it was nominated. Sorry. Maybe they convoluted two things, because the sound effects were actually not so bad. No, the sound good. effects are good. No, but, I mean, they really but, had their booms and crashes going. Right, but and so I think in some ways the the soundtrack itself was sort of uh, minimized and underplayed because the sounds yeah. in the background were so much more critical and important. I mean, uh, you, that, know what? I, 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 you know, I listened to it in the full <laughs> surround sound, and, and I, I'm going to tell you, I think you're misremembering it because the soundtrack is so dull, but it's pretty prevalent in certain scenes. You you do right hear it, but I, I think it's because it's so pedestrian. There's only a well, few good moments here, but it's 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 nothing. You know, you don't go away thinking, "Oh, here's the soundtrack to you know, I'll sing that you know while I'm waiting." I mean, whereas I can hum Superman all day long, you know, 
that's great John Williams score. This one was a uh, thanks for the paycheck. Here's some pages with notes on it. Do what you can. Uh, my opinion. Sorry, Mr. Williams. Maybe maybe I'm missing something. I don't know all. I'm not a very you know musical person. So maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, and somebody can correct me. No, I don't think you're wrong. But it was pretty pedestrian. It, but it, it here, was just, it was just lackluster. Yeah, this is this tells you though something about this film that we're right now we've talked about two things: a helicopter ride in and the soundtrack, and that's it so far. We haven't even touched the acting. Um, when you've got this many big heads trying to fit on such a big screen. It's 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 amazing. Um, the story is Paul Newman and Steve McQueen were both fighting for uh, getting head billing, and so they had to figure out how they were going to do it without pissing each of the stars off, and they came up with a novel way of doing it. Steve McQueen was on the over here on the screen, and Paul Newman was up here on the screen. So one had an upper billing, but the other guy got the on the right hand side. So you know both were sort of you know placated by that but it's uh it's it but it tells you a lot because the two actors apparently didn't get along during the shooting either because both were like huge egos and the both <laughs> were both were the star of the film um you know you had paul newman's character doing all this stunts and being the you know and he's the protagonist that you're going to follow right it makes sense steve mcqueen comes in and he's the fire chief who does everything everything he goes from one situation to another. He's saving this group of people that he gets on to the top of a building and then he gets onto a crane and then he gets onto the thing. Then he gets to blow up the thing. And, you know, and it's like, I'm sorry, what human being is that, that versatile and that expendable yet that important to do all of those jobs? Right. Uh, Steve McQueen, obviously. But it's like, it was uh, really stretched the, the credibility of him. You know what I love is uh, the little message they try to put in there through his character by that, that these people, they keep building these dark towers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is Erwin Allen saying, this is our public service message. This is why this film exists. It, it's not disaster porn. This has a purpose. Right. Oh my God. Learn, learn from this film, people. Learn. Listen, I listen, love, listen. I love, I love the last line though, where he goes, "One day, you architect, you're gonna realize that you're gonna need to have me uh, with, <laughs> to help with some crap." Like I gotta. Yeah, and he says, and he says, "Well, I'm asking you now." And he goes, and he looks at him and he drives away. <laughs> now, my favorite part though is in the SCTV version. It, Joe Flaherty is playing that part. Unfortunately, he's not good playing. Uh, he can't do a Steve McQueen, so he's doing this Charlton Heston. <laughs> and they end the thing where they, you know, try to save the people, and then at the end of the movie, he's, he does the whole, "Oh, they made towers so big, and oh, why do they have to make them so big?" All of a sudden, the guy runs up. This is Johnson's tabby. He's caught in the tree. Oh, damn! And off the fire department goes to rescue the tabby. And I thought that would have made a better ending. I think. Yeah, because if the fire department after everything, then Stephen Queen hops on his car and goes to save a cat. Then he could have done everything a firefighter does. Well, here it here it is. I'm gonna play the audio from the clip. Oh, good. Spoiler alert, by the way. I don't know. Maybe they just ought to leave it the way it is. Yeah. They shrined all the bullshit. <laughs> I 
let's let's leave this building that's probably going to collapse and crumble all over the place standing. You know, we were lucky tonight. Body counts less than 200. It's lucky. <laughs> so lucky. You've got to wonder how bad things are usually in that city. <laughs> and I'm going to keep eating smoke and bringing out body. Will somebody ask us how to build them. Yes, Mr. Firefighter, how do you build a building? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because uh, police fire chiefs know how to build. Yeah, uh, don't forget you gotta build this this wall here. But no, that's 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 a retaining wall. We need that. No, we gotta get rid of it. It'll cause fire to spread. No, no, but the entire roof will fall down if we don't. No, no. Well, who's the firefighter here and who's the architect? Listen to me. <laughs> well, I, I I think we should launch this as maybe uh, a new university course where you can become both an architect and a firefighter at the same Ooh. time yep. so build them and then rescue them when they have a huge flaw in them um yeah Take so job security yeah so once again we have the type of person in these movies and it becomes more prevalent um after this one so in the poseidon adventure even though you have the one guy saying here let's move this boat faster he's kind of represents the corporate evil guy kind of pushing things that cause a disaster but not quite here you have blatant neglect and and cutting corners and everything oh we were just a code and you know they were using you know uh balsa wood in some of the places and everything they just didn't care right. they got the tower up as quickly as they can uh, and so it's their fault and they're and not only they their fault but um richard chamberlain's performance as the the greasy weaselly drunken uh, son-in-law is uh, priceless. Like he's a coward and sniveling and, and awful and just horrible through the whole thing. It's like, can you hit us over the head anymore to make us not like this guy? I mean, he's Richard Chamberlain, so we don't need to like him at all. Right. But, but you know, I, let's have him up it a bit. I love how so when, when Paul Newman went to his house and his wife yes. was like flirting with him and all that, yeah. and then they tried to, then he, you know, he didn't like it, obviously. And then tried to hit on his woman, Faye Dunaway, and she was just like, he was just like, hey, let's have lunch. She was like, no. And then like, no, no, I'm not. not hey, not. this building's on fire. You want to do some time? No, oh, no, not really. Like, uh, no, you're not getting anything. You're not that hot yet. Yeah. I'm trying to, uh, like, themes and everything. There's some really weird messages in hey, this movie. Dr. Kildare. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really weird messages in this movie. Yeah. Um, one of the Roberts was it Vaughn or the or Wagner? We can't. I think it was Vaughn. Robert Vaughn um, has an affair, and so I guess they get some sort of you know uh, punishment, you know, kind of hellfire, where the couple don't realize everything's on fire around them until they they finish you know having their affair. He opens the door and sees everything's on fire, and it's like. You think you would have noticed something like the smoke coming in under the doors or anything, and of course he runs into the fire and he dies and she dies. I'm like, what are they trying to do here in this film? Because this is like it's like almost like a moral lesson we're trying to learn. Because it, it felt really heavy headed. It didn't feel like oh this is sort of oh this is sad. The couple is no. They made a point of saying this is an illicit affair. They shouldn't be together. Kind of thing. The way they make it sound. And then well, you know, and his undoing is the fact that he oh. Don't leave the phones on because, you know, I'm going to be uh, busy tonight. So keep the phones up. So he couldn't even phone for help. Right. 
and that was his own doing. So it's like they doomed themselves. A, they shouldn't have been there, and all this other stuff. It's like what? Yeah. What are you trying to? What are you trying to say here? Kind of have a little message in there, but you yeah, know, think- you know, if you want to, because we can keep going back and forth comparing it to Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, um, it's it's trying to do the same beats, but not as well, which is weird. Because the like, great, but again, they didn't know. have some kind of weird rape subplot. No, so so maybe no, we'll- no. Everybody was willing participants in each one of the right, stories, right, right. As far as I remember, right. We don't know what OJ was doing in the back. He was saying it, it. It it felt like they were uh, attempting to bring in some circles of hell, as yeah. if like the the Dante's like the tower itself was sort of uh, the 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 most mythic of symbols, but they didn't because there wasn't enough. Like I could see it's a like whole they read the- lot. They read the Cliff's notes. They said, okay, there's a place, there's circles in hell, and it's, there's a tower in one part, and there's flames. Okay, yeah, we, we, we just did a, our, our take on Dante. Right, and, and that, I mean, you can even get, yeah, exactly, That's ex- and that's exactly what I pulled away from it. It was, they tried. They, they I attempting to go in the direction of uh, yeah i would hey, say attempting is create... a you know what they yeah. have done, <laughs> to put an effort you know what guys... they should have done they should have ripped the ending of the car and then you just see like a demon face <laughs> that would be like awesome it's the same no demon. I... it's the same demon from the car <laughs> i would have given the movie at that point i would have given it a seven a solid huge <laughs> seven but oh, no, no they didn't go that direction no so. they did not they didn't. Um, hey, give them credit. Like one of the innocent people who who died was, you know, I felt bad for her, um, mainly because that was the end of her career as it was. Um, so uh, the Fred Astaire's uh, main squeeze. Oh yeah. By the, way, by the way, speaking of Fred Astaire, I guess his his was an arc of redemption. His story arc. See, he was a con man who who was trying to to weasel a lady out, but didn't realize that she was so goddamn lonely and desperate that she'd take any company, even a sleazy con man who can dance. <laughs> and so I knew all along, oh, when I didn't have my, like they show him getting this paper and putting it into the coat and making a big deal of it. And then he's like, oh, I left my coat somewhere and I don't even have that now. Like, was that the writers trying to, oh, here, people are going to ask why he doesn't have the paper. We lost it. I don't know what we're going to do. Okay. Just take it <laughs> Okay, good enough. You good know, enough. You, you know this. This actually it brings up a really good, um, it brings up a really good comparison for me right now because okay. at the moment, and and the movie we preview, well, the movies we preview, the movies that we review are they definitely have a different kind of storytelling flavor. And it's funny because I feel like this is one of the reasons that they become sort of hilarious right now. It's because we don't tell stories like this anymore, first of all. But even when we do tell big sort of giant epics, don't load them with the kind of really strange exposition, or it feels strange to us now, where Mm. they narrate almost every little point uh, to the to almost the the point of distraction whereas now we have something that's a little bit more like mystery storytelling like 
well, we hope that you get it. And hey, if you miss this clue, or, or we do, or no, maybe, let's drop what might be a clue. And but, but it could be a red herring. Right, it, it could, could be a red herring also. And and hey, you know what? Let's get the podcasters to weigh in because if they think that there's something going on, well, hey, maybe they might give us an idea. We'll see what's going on. I mean, it's can you imagine if we all existed back in the in that time and we had this podcast going and we were reviewing this in real time, what we would be saying about it? I mean, it just blows my mind because the is just so different so it's, it's I, I find that fascinating it's it's very much of the tv and this is where Irwin allen uh cut his teeth was in television right and it is very much a, a tv kind of movie of the week kind of thing where you get a bunch of characters together oddball characters like your airport movie and stuff like that uh, in 1970 it was airport um where it's a disaster film about a plane that's uh, gonna crash or i can't remember was it, was it the whole no, no, I'm mixing two things up. Anyways, I'm thinking airplane and airport. Anyways, doesn't matter. Point is that you have all these desperate characters that come together with this one disaster, and you give them all to humanize them. You give them all little stories that they're going to carry on through the whole thing. So he'll learn to love this person, and this person will be break want to break up with this person, but in the end they get together. Or this person is horrible, but he sacrifices himself in the end. And all these little tiny little story arcs they have through it, and that was very common in a lot of those types. Um, and it is today, except for nowadays, they truncate it so much there's not even real character moments, so the dialogue is even less perfunctory. I mean, nowadays, they just have a guy start off with a family around him, so you go, oh, he's a family guy. Okay, there's your shortcut, and that's all you do. And then he yeah, goes, and, you're supposed to care because he has a family. Um, and the, and, and I, I, think, I, I think one of the most stark examples of, of that kind of... Uh, of that kind of storytelling, which is so interesting because, it, I mean, there's a reason that we find these so, so hilarious is the dialogue feels like it is so um, sort of overemphasized. And, and, well, yeah, and, they're cramming and the, all the exposition in every piece of dialogue you're talking. I mean, they're describing and, their entire lives before the moment these people meet. And or, today we have none of that. We, no. I mean, like, it, it, it's almost so stark that you're just starving for any like what and it, it, you have to i have to think right there's a reason that people fill in all the gaps today with all these fan fiction stories whereas back well maybe not back then but in the thing. 70s it was just everything was on the table there was no need to write fan fiction because there it was it was right there well yeah that's the thing today's characters are supposed to be every man that you're supposed to relate with so they make them as blank slate as possible you'll notice most heroes are very bland and boring because they're blank slates. They're, they're supposed to be us substituting ourselves. Oh, I, I'm going to be that guy. Um, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't that way. I mean, yeah. but nowadays, most of your heroes, aside from a couple that stand out, and they stand out for the re this reason, is because they're just bland. They're nothing. They're, there's nothing to them. There's no real backstory except for, I'm a father, or I went to this school, or I had this small problem, or whatever, and that's it. And you're looking and going, okay. I'll just fill in the back stuff because I have to. Mm. You're making fill it in. Yeah. Uh, Is that good or bad? I don't. I I don't know. Um. Let's kind of let's talk about these characters. Like, uh, okay, Paul Newman. You know, mm -hmm. he's, he's a good actor. He's a good actor. Yeah. I would say he's he's 
like a, a goat. You know, he's not a great of all time, but he, no. you know, he has personality and panache, whatever you want to call it, whatever the mm-hmm. folks say. In this movie, he is sleepwalking through this movie. <laughs> yes, he literally everything is in neutral. There's very few the, the people who are trying the hardest are the people who are lower down on the actual uh, roster. Or are at the end of their careers. So, you know, Fred Astaire is, is pulling out all the stops and all of his emotions he's trying to put into his scenes, you know, using his old style of acting. And he really wants to be there. Paul Newman's like, yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah. I, I'll just say my lines and look concerned and sweaty. Yeah, I don't think Paul Newman... Paul Newman looked like he wanted to be anywhere other than where he was at. I'm imagining he must have got a big payday. That's why... Oh yeah, the movie. Oh, a big uh, name, so. and uh, so he really didn't look like he wanted to be there. Uh, Steve McQueen, uh, I would, me personally, I like him better in movies than Paul Newman. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, he put a. It seemed like he did put a lot to his character as much as what well, he got more action. So he, right. he got to play the gritty, tough, tough as nails, no nonsense guy that he always plays. Right. Right. So it was easier for him. So he was just, he was sleepwalking too, but he doesn't, but his sleepwalking is basically, this is the role I always play, no problem. I know how to do this and I'll, I can nail it and it won't look as bad. Paul Newman usually puts a little more uh, charisma in his performance and he just didn't bother with this. He really, I mean, he's got some charisma, but not really. He really Like you look at him in other films, it, it, it's, he's much more charismatic, he's much more interesting. Uh, he gets some interesting lines, funnier bits sometimes, and everything. And this, he was just oh. no, he's, uh, no. But uh, I would say though that uh, Steve McQueen blander than his salad dressing. <laughs> I, I think uh, there's a. I hear uh, audio issues. I think yeah. What's that mm-hmm. clicking? Yes, yeah, that might be you, Jen. Uh, is it Jen? me? Yeah, you're oh, clicking. Hit, hit mute, Jen. Is it my is it my headset? Oh boy, yeah, I think so. it might be. Yeah, that was you. Uh, just you know, coming yeah. out uh, when you have something. Um, okay, so William Holden, who's you know fantastic actor. Yes. Uh, you know he he was really good. Uh, he was yeah. really good. And, yes, he was. And he he gives gravitas pretty much in anything he's going to be in. Uh, mm-hmm. Really enjoyed him. Um, Richard Chamberlain. Greasy, <laughs> <laughs> greasy Richard Chamberlain. He has a face you just want to punch. You know. He does. He's still not <laughs> so hateable in everything he does. Even Shogun. I don't know if you ever saw the miniseries yeah, Shogun. I've seen that Even then I'm like going, yeah, I'm hoping he gets his head chopped off too. <laughs> He's still alive. He's 85 years old. Yes, he is. Yeah. I mean, I just, nothing against him. He it's just the way he is. And he's even worse. The hairdo they give him and the, the ugly crushed velvet tuxedo, everything about him just makes you want to hit him. Right, you just want to, and it's not, and and then they give him to make him the greasiest, sleaziest character in the movie, uh, and you know you're cheering, and you're supposed to when he is trying to escape. You know he throws the number, and he tries to cheat people out of getting on that uh, stupid cart to get away. Right, and all those other guys get on, and he's like throwing them to their deaths, and then he crashes, and it's like, well, okay, good. Now let's talk about the women in this movie because <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about costumes, aren't we? <laughs> well. Okay, let's go back to like, how did that get a PG rating? Last year, we talked about um, Poseidon Adventure, and there were some, there were one, one or two standouts, and then the rest were like annoying as hell. Mm-hmm. And 
Well, this one is different because in this film, there were probably no w- women standouts in the movie. They were just all pretty annoying. They were just there as the love interests and person to be rescued. Right. <clears throat> That's all. Hold on. I'll give, I'll, give, I'll give those three women that ran towards the helicopter when they were told not to props because they made it interesting. I think <laughs> they brought that helicopter down. And 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 props to the stunt women who who threw themselves to the ground while this thing exploded over them. I mean, because once again, not CG. That that was a real effect that happened with real people and a real fireball above them. So you know, yeah, good on them for that. So nineteen um, women. No, this didn't advance the cause, uh, right, Jen? You said what? I, I didn't miss that This last film part. didn't advance advance the call the cause for women in uh, movies, huh? Um, it, it it doesn't really do. No. <laughs> it, I, I and what I was gonna say was I, I think some of the actual stage props got better both direction and parts than the women did. So that should tell you something. Well, you know, I I don't know. They they dressed up the women better than the stage parts. Yeah. They made sure that they were wearing the slinkiest stuff. And I don't know. You know, there was some really cool looking. I gotta say, the 70s definitely had that wallpaper rocking. Oh, they did. Uh, they no, no fool around, not just Prince. <laughs> they would put that felt on that thing and they would have raised bits on those things. I know. I lived through that time. My parents had that on our walls. Woof. I wonder. <laughs> okay, I just have to say, uh, I'm gonna say this again. Faye Dunaway's dress that she's wearing. That should have given this movie a restricted because <laughs> she was free to be her and me or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, brave, brave of her to do that. Unless so, she was like one way that she didn't realize that once the lights came on, everything was revealed. But I, I'm like, yeah, that's very distracting. That was distracting. And she's still alive too, by the way. Oh. I hope she doesn't wear that dress nowadays. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> oh, that's mean. I mean that's sexist of me, and I'm sorry. How's that sexist? Ageist, ageist, and sexist of some. Uh, yeah, she's more than just uh, a piece of meat. A <laughs> uh, ranch sorry. meat now, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. You did. Oh, um, we forgot to mention Bobby Brady's in this movie. Yes, 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 yes. That's true. Wearing those head, those groovy headphones, that even oh. when the place is burning down and he knows he's in jeopardy, is still wearing the damn headphones. Oh, like, yes. Anybody here? Anybody here? What? Oh, yeah. Put the fire out. My my favorite thing though is uh, when um, Steve McQueen tells William Holden's character like, "Hey, there's a fire. There's a, there's a major fire." On uh, floor eighty three, and mm-hmm. to get everybody out, and he's like, "We can't. No, we have a party here. The mayor's here." <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> oh yeah, what's with the red carpet event? Who goes to a red carpet event for an opening of a building right. that obviously was already open because it had offices that were already filled and operating? Oh, I, just, I have no idea. It was like it was the. I guess in seventy four there weren't a lot of events to go to. I guess I don't know. It, Here's another question. There weren't a lot of if it was to go to. if if there was a lot, it was going to take like two hours to get everybody out of that party. How long did it take them to get into that party? 
were they like getting in there like three in the afternoon? We got to be there for eight, so it's going to take us about five hours getting up this place. And, and I, we kind of mentioned this before, but I'm gonna ask this for June first. Whenever is it you're lucky that only 200 people died? <laughs> uh, it's San Francisco. They got a history of these kind of things, earthquakes, fires, and all that kind of thing. Oh, is it only? I think the thing. I think the thing that they were they were trying to say with that was not that 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 only two hundred people died. I think what they were trying to say was, "Hey, we made it through the movie, and there were only two hundred casual." amazing <laughs> literally everybody yes well i mean i'm still, I'm still trying to think of what's going on so this building is uh, the whole idea is that this is the grand opening of this building right we know there are people already living in this building there are offices already in this building that are running right um but it everything that they're doing like well we're switching the power plant over this and this and this well, let's check the wiring now it's like it's looking like this is the first time the building's been operating but it sure as hell looks like all those furnished apartments and everything these people have been living there for a while for a while yeah good while yeah so i'm going i'm confused as to why is it so like we don't do a grand opening until paul newman comes back yeah we- well uh, right because it's not really a grand opening until all the stuff yeah i get <laughs> stars um yeah it's a very strange movie uh, um but okay after all this is said and done it is entertaining watching things burning i guess you can understand why pyromaniacs are the way they are sometimes when you watch this movie kind of going yeah those flames are really cool that looks really nice that's oh that's a good explosion um you know doors bursting open people opening door no don't you know, all that kind of stuff. Great. Um, don't know why all these firefighters were, were being so seriously injured. Uh, like, I'm trying to understand what the heck is exploding in this building, except for the fact that every so often they show the same um, storage room with the paint cans in it. That's the only thing that I've ever seen that looks like it's, you know, exploded. But floors are blowing up, and I'm wondering, what the hell are they storing in those floors that are causing it to blow up? <laughs> oh, what's this building made of? It's like, oh, yeah, we used CNT. plastic and <laughs> For some of the piping, because it was the cheapest thing to get, army surplus. We never figured there'd be like a fire or explosion or anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, clearly, clearly, DMT, baby. <laughs> yeah. That's what's on it. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's just like you know, we were with the car. Remember where uh, was it? The car where it. It, the the it blew up or something. No, it, maybe it wasn't the car. Was no, no, the car when the guy when the guy's car went over the side. Right. Of the up, yeah. Okay. That's one of those tropes <laughs> that we see a lot in in movies where it blows up for no reason. Like to the point where you know, as a young person, as a kid, I was like, I thought that's just what happened. And then I, you know, as I got older and wiser, I realized it's some bullshit. Yeah, it only so, happens for pintos. That's it. Right. 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 So. But that's because oh. the gas tank in the back. <laughs> yeah. Nice design, guys. Um, yeah. And, uh, speaking of explosions, uh, their ending solution. Uh, boy, did those flames kind of stop burning, like as if someone turned off the gas <laughs> pipes that they're feeding those things, eh? A little bit of water comes down, <laughs> and they go, as if you're turning off a gas stove. 
And it's like, okay. I, I think of, of, that better. of all the things that were not realistic. Literally. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, my favorite thing is like, it's like been burning for so long. And somehow, out by itself. Well, no, 2,000 like, well, gallons and, and, of water. And, you know, and I think I could actually make. I, I think I could make a really good case it, through a conspiracy theory that this actually was Dante's Inferno. And at the end, all the sin had been extinguished and that's why the fire went out so fast. Oh, there we go. Boom. Here we go. So, I mean, like the fire effects are really good, except for when the thing, but it when it's going out, you can tell that it's a gas flame that's being fed, you know, like it's being fed by some sort of gas flame. Oh, here's, yeah. the thing. here's the thing. So this is my favorite thing with the end. It's like either you burn, oh no, explosions are burn. You get crushed <laughs> or, you, or you drown. And that that's it. And yet the 70 year old man survives it. <laughs> of course. But, uh, so there you go. High pressure hose right on, on the guy from uh, RoboCop. There. Yeah. I recognize him. Now I know how to put out a fire of that magnitude. Uh, did you recognize him, by the way? The uh, the black firefighter is the guy from RoboCop. One of the oh, yeah. I recognize him. The man I've seen him. Yeah. Detroit. I like him. He's one of those guys that, you know, he you, you just, you, they, they hire him because he's, he's so likable looking. He just. He just smiles a certain way or looks a certain way. And you go, hey, that guy's just, I like him without even knowing him. I like this guy. He doesn't say a thing. No. Oh, no, not the guy from uh, Bernie Miller. Oh. Uh, oh, uh, killed, by, um, killed by the Virgin Mary. Oh, ironic. Uh, I think even the dog had issues with this. I don't know. I, the dog had issues with this. Oh yeah, my but dog doesn't like becoming more fire. and more iconic as we go. <laughs> but anyways, that was my friends, the Towering Inferno. Uh, there's not much to say about it. It's things burning, people falling out of buildings, firefighters fighting fires, and a stupid accident after stupid accident getting in the way of, of people escaping, including cement on the door, which they blow up with C4. Okay. Well, there, there, there were, there were, there were some cute, uh, I'm in quotes, oh, yeah. uh, vignettes of you know little character actions. I mean, some of the stuff was actually, it, it was, it was mm -hmm. entertaining. It was entertaining all by itself. Like if you just took it out of context of the movie and just saw it as like a little short, it was actually quite entertaining in in just sort right. of for drama for drama's sake. But when you put the whole movie together. It sort of stacks up to a great big nothingness. I mean, not that the fire isn't amazing, but it's just it, it what it lacks for. And I feel like this is sort of the case with all the disaster movies. And to be honest, okay, over the weekend, uh, last weekend, I went to go see uh, Godzilla, King of King, yeah. King of the Monsters, and um, and, and it had the same crazy overtone. It had the same, you know, oh my gosh, it's us versus the environment, or the environment versus us, and. And it also had, you know, corporate mm -hmm. greed this, and it had um, the, the kind of same exact tones that I found in Towering Inferno, but it was with monsters. So I, the, I feel like this trope is, is 
it's something that we keep struggling with. We keep wanting to tell a good story about, you know, why we shouldn't, why the hubris of man is so important to understand. But it, but it's so interesting the way that we decide to tell these stories because we never actually get no. to that. We were so caught up in the sort of like little we, stuff along the we way. We do it. We just do it at the you end know, of the movie. That explosion looked good. That we never. Oh, get we do. There. We do. We do it in one sentence at the end of the movie. And we thought it was unsinkable. Oh, we should never have built it so tall. What were we thinking? You're right. <laughs> that, that's it. What were we thinking? What were we thinking? <laughs> I think it was just what the yeah. the well, they made enough money on it, so I guess it they they thought they did a good thing, and it led to another move, disaster movie. Uh, which we may talk about next season, but I think we're going to skip ahead to uh, skip Earthquake and go right to the granddaddy, the, the movie that destroyed Irwin Allen's career. The Swarm? Yes. The one he doesn't want anyone to ever talk about well, while he was alive. No one could talk about that movie around him. Oh my God. That movie was so hilarious. Yeah. film so hilarious. Yes. I still remember... I, I mean, I remember the grown-ups around are saying, oh, this is going to be so scary, everybody. This is going to be... And then it was it was so funny that my cousin and I sat on the floor and laughed and laughed and laughed. I thought the I bees mean, we were off kids. friends. <laughs> I could have oh, sworn God. the bees were off friends. What? Oh, what? The bees are... what? What's your job? I'm an entomologist. We used to run around outside pretending like, you know, that we had nothing into something in our hand, like a pretend thing. Hey, it's a killer bee. It's a killer bee. Like, that's going to scare us. No, you should just oh, do styrofoam just... chips at each other and you could pretend you were being attacked by the swarm. <laughs> the actors did in that movie. Um, oh, okay. Hey, oh, uh, just to let you guys know, you guys don't know this, but we, I have a special announcement about this, this uh, show. Okay. Cinema de Fromage. It, is it being broadcast okay. in Alpha Centauri? Because I heard that they really like us out there. Nobody's uh, yeah. gonna like us. Yes. So, <laughs> so uh, I don't want I don't want um, King to miss uh, his his. Yeah, I got my basketball game going on. The Raptors are gonna win this one. So oh, let's. That's um, right. So let's get let's do the scores. Hold on. Let me pull it up. And I will explain why. And I'll, I'll go first, and then we'll go Jen, and then you. Okay. I'll, I'll go. I'll mute myself so you don't hear my dog. So, and I have. You'll see. Uh, okay. Where's? Oops. Desktop. There we go. All right. So uh, I gave the story, as you can see, a six. Um. Ooh, generous. Ain't nothing wrong about you know. I I like disaster movies, man. Even though they they're mostly stupid and all of that, but you know what? I enjoy it. Now the running time. If we put, we should have a category called running time because this freaking <laughs> running time too long or too long. short. <laughs> too long. Oh my god! <laughs> it was like two movies. Basically. It but uh, it was way too long. But uh, anyway, so number two acting, I gave it a four. Um. And Paul Newman was not Paul Newman. Uh, you know, he was, you know, a guy that was just trying to catch a check. Uh, but, you know, it's good to see Fred Astaire and uh, Steve McQueen is always awesome. So, uh, you know, and OJ, of course, uh, helped the acting in this movie. Uh, number three, 
score slash sound design, I gave it a four. Uh, I mean, it sounded like fire, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, the score was John Williams. This is probably one of the weakest John Williams scores I've ever heard, but I guess that was in his infancy, so we'll cut him some slack. Um, number four, as far as production quality, I actually gave it a five because for its time, it was pretty state-of-the-art. I mean, looking at it through 2019 goggles, um, you know, obviously it doesn't cut the mustard, but uh, I probably should have gave it a higher score, actually, because if you think about it, it was it was pretty high quality for its time. So you you have to judge it in that context. So I probably should have given it a higher score, but um, but uh, I gave it a five. And overall entertainment value, how much I enjoyed the film, I gave it a six. I actually really enjoyed uh, watching the movie. Uh, I just didn't like how long it took, but it, <laughs> it, you know it was kind of you know I had fun with it. It was it was definitely. Uh, not a bad movie at all. I liked it way better than that movie that The Rock did last year. Uh, what was it called? I forgot. High Rise or some bullshit. Uh, oh god, that was awful. That was yeah. awful. So yeah. I, actually, I would way watch. I I could watch this and enjoy it. I, I don't think I could ever watch that one again. So mm-hmm. the one that The Rock did. So right. so get mm-hmm. five. Cool. All, all right. right. So. Uh, I gave Story a six, Um, and again, I really did like the little character vignettes and the little dramas going on. They were just disconnected. Mm -hmm. Um, Sound and uh, and sound production, I gave that a five. I I like it. I I didn't, I I actually liked the sound effects. They were really cool, but the soundtrack itself wasn't so great, but the sound effects more than made up for it. And sound editing was really on point. Mm-hmm. There was some interesting ideas that some Foley had to come up with to make those stuff. It was kind of cool. I liked it. You skipped that. Uh, uh, I did, oh, I'm sorry. I have a matter of No, she gave it zero. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, gave, I didn't give it. Actually, I gave this movie way higher scores than I think I've given most movies. Um, five. I, I, it wasn't it, again. It wasn't terrible, but overall, wow! The, for all those people that were there, what was like? Did they just lure them to the set with like the? Well, we'll have drugs and women or something because for all of that star power, it feels like there should have been something way greater going on. Mm-hmm. So, but it, but it wasn't. Still, again, it, by themselves, bad. Um, production, I actually gave a seven, and. I'll tell you why I did seven just real quick. So I, I said for the time, I, I feel like this was so incredibly epic for them to put together. And part of production to me, because we don't have a separate category for it is editing. And they did some really interesting things with editing. I mean, their transitions were but the editing itself was not bad. I, I found myself being sort of overly fascinated with the way that they cut their scenes together. And I really like it. So that I give them, I gave overall everything a seven. Also, some of the special effects were, today's standards, obviously they're terrible, but I, I feel like they get a, a big, big gold star for putting that much effort into some of those things where you can tell that there's actual people on the set 
who are mere fires and that had to have been terrifying. So I, I definitely give them some, some straight up props. We had fun, my, myself and the two people I watched with, we had a great time, better time, second time through. Uh, so I gave it a six. So oh. not a bad, not a, not a, not a bad score. I don't think for this movie. Yeah. No, yeah. I think it's really good. Huh? Okay. Twenty-nine. Okay. You mean thirty-nine? I'm I'm pretty sure this is the highest score that I've given any movie this season so far. Well, maybe what? No, twenty-nine. My mistake. Yeah. Say. Um. You know what? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say. I I never thought I'd say this, but I'm in complete agreement with Jen as far as my scores go. Exactly the same. Wow. Wow. Um, yes, and I, I, I have to say, I, I was shocked when I'm looking at those numbers and looking what I got, and I go, that's exactly the exact same scores I gave, which is, you know, story six. It's, uh, you know, it's telling an interesting story with some interesting characters and some weird little vignettes. The acting, like I said, some of it's pretty much phoned in, and the older ones are trying their best, but it comes off a little corny, so it's, it's a five. Uh, the sound design, the score, score 55. Wow. <laughs> The score is uh, six on the sound design, or five, I should say, because it was a, a weak score. Uh, interesting sound effects, but eh, it didn't quite grab me. Um, but yeah, the production value. Uh, now, I wouldn't have thought of the editing, but um, definitely all of the work. I mean, there's only two or three special effects scenes that don't work so well. The the, the rear projection of uh, Steve McQueen on the crane coming towards the thing. Other than that, I mean, the actual practical stuff with the fire, you don't see much of that nowadays with that kind of like the big, big fires around them. And it's not, not just like a, an explosion, a little bit of fire. There's a constant fire around people that it's, you know, and you have to understand they've made the sets and everything so they could keep burning and burning and burning and not, you know, accidentally burn up the whole set. So I'm impressed with that. And by the way, uh, it won the Oscar that year for editing. So oh, wow. there you go. Um, and the overall, yeah, six for the overall uh, entertainment value because I have to say I enjoy a disaster film myself, and this one's not a bad one. There's some fun bits in it, and there's some riveting bits. And when I, I have to say, watching Richard Chamberlain throwing all those guys over the, the poor mayor who's trying uh, to was he the mayor or the governor who accidentally gets pulled out with him? He's like, no, no, and it's like, oh, <laughs> he didn't do anything wrong. Don't kill Mr. Wagner. Oh, there he goes. Uh, Anyways, and there we go, towering inferno. All right, um, which I, I guess I, is this one probably going to be our top film so far this year? Um. Okay, so I, I'm going to explain all that after oh, okay. because, uh, um, movies that make the meal, and then I'm going to explain uh, a, a change. Uh, okay. okay. All right. All right, so <clears throat> make the meal. I'm just gonna. I'll make it go really fast. Th this week I did hot wings. <laughs> no big surprise. <laughs> Have to wear festive uh, gloves and, to deal with them. And and I actually, God, this was this was really seriously work. I I don't like spicy foods, and we made something called a fire sauce. So the recipe for the fire sauce plus the recipe for making the hot wings themselves are all blog and it really it turned out pretty good but it's they're hot they're hot all right okay so a couple of things before we say goodbye um all right i'm not gonna give the running total or 
or am I going to give uh, what this score got? I watched it with a friend of mine, and he's going to serve as the judge. Uh, I'm going to have him do the scores, right? Okay. okay so we're going to keep the four-judge uh, thing because um, as we were doing the show, our good friend Joshua has agreed to be on fourth. We'll always have a fourth. Uh, rather than trying to always get another fourth, uh, Josh said he would do it um, uh, every week. So what I'm going to do is, uh, so we can keep the scores fair, you know, I will get my friend who I watched it with, um, who could have come on uh, the show last week, but whatever. Um, but so he's going to give his score. So then next week, we're going to have the full running tally, all of that. And we will always have four. So going forward. So, um, but I want to thank Josh from Semicore uh, for agreeing to be our fourth. And it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Josh is a lot of fun, and he loves movies. And I sent, I just sent an email to all you guys, the movie, the next movie, which will be Dawn of the Dead, 1978. Yes. Uh, and uh, as a... Oh, we're, which uh, we're going to be the U.S. theatrical cut in case there's like, there are like three or four different versions of this film. Now. The U.S. theatrical cut is the one we're going to be using for this. Well, I, the one I downloaded and then sent. So I, don't, I mean, I, I, it was. I know it was. It wasn't as easy as I thought getting mm -hmm. it, getting it. But um, okay, as a horde of zombies swarm over the U.S., the terrified populace tries everything in their power to escape the attack of the undead. But neither cities nor the uh, countryside prove safe. In Pennsylvania, radio station employee Stephen uh, and his girlfriend. Uh, escape in in the escape in the station helicopter, accompanied by two renegade SWAT team members, Roger and Pete. The group retreats to uh, the haven of an enclosed shopping center to make uh, what could be of humanity's last stand. Directed by, of course, the great George Romero, released in May uh, May twenty fourth, nineteen seventy nine. Uh, that's funny. It's always nineteen seventy eight, huh? Anyway. Um and uh so uh, it's the sequel of course to The Night of the Living Dead. Yes. A great film. And it was a, a great remake was made out of it as well. So mm -hmm. looking forward to uh talking about that and it's gonna Me be a good to kick off our new iteration of the show. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to it. So uh uh, you can get me at Kente F on, on Twitter and Kente Ferguson on Instagram. What about you, Jen? You can find me on Twitter at following bliss one. <clears throat> and you can find my websites at and critical laughs. All right. And uh, email me at kingpenguin at gmail.com. Any movie ideas you want or just uh, say hello. That's fine. Um, and of course, uh, YouTube, you can find your Professor Psycho's movie madhouse. So there you go. Right. With all kinds of weird clips and that. Plus, I have a website, uh, Professor Psycho's movie madhouse, with links to both this show and previous shows and radio stuff we've done and videos. So there you go. All right. 